Today, Jesus reminds us not to shout out our prayers on street corners, and we learn what a prayer closet is. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. Today's passage in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, is a continuation of yesterday's, and it carries the same theme from giving into prayer. We're going to see this. Now, we're going to get into this passage in a minute, but first, I want to state what this passage is not. This passage is not a scripture to support uh, not praying in public or not praying for extended periods of time. I've actually heard Christians use this passage to speak against, to write against, blog against public prayer gatherings. Now, why someone in the church would speak against prayer meetings is completely beyond my understanding. I will I will never get it. Now, while God, I will say that while God desires an intimate relationship with each one of us individually, he did not design us to walk out our faith alone or removed from the world. And I've said this many times before, but there's no such thing as a secret disciple because discipleship will kill the secrecy or the secrecy will kill the discipleship. God designed us to be uh, in an intimate relationship with him. But as we see over and over and over in scripture, God loves to encounter us corporately and things shift, things move, things break through when we come together corporately. We see this in Acts where they devoted themselves to four things as a community. And one of them was they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer, prayer together, not prayer individually. We just wrapped up an amazing series at New Tribe Church uh, called Atmosphere in which we went through these things that they devoted themselves to, I would encourage you to check it out at newtribe.church. Now, let's jump into this passage. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners, that they'll be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. I love that. Just says it. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, the word used here for hypocrites is best translated actor. And I'm not sure which word stings worse for Jesus to call you a hypocrite or Jesus to call you an actor. Hypocrite certainly comes with a level of ouch, uh, but Jesus, imagine Jesus referring to you as an actor, um, someone that puts on a performance, but internally is not sincere, or most importantly, is not the person they are portraying themselves to be. I mean, that's what actors are, right? They're people who play someone else. It's, it's also important that as we read this, we hear the tonality of Jesus. I think this is incredibly important. You know, later in Matthew 23, we really see the proverbial gloves come off between Jesus and the Pharisees. But here, that's not the only category of person Jesus is talking about. He's not just talking about Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, I believe Jesus may have been really playful here, quote unquote, acting it out as he described it. We, the, the Jesus movies of our past have really tainted the way that we read the Gospels, in my opinion. Uh, with the exception of a couple of them, they, they always portray the Sermon on the Mount as this slowly given monotone speech that could put a crack addict to sleep. Seriously. I, I watch some of these old movies and I just go, who? Like I'm falling asleep watching this movie, nor would I walk four miles 
to follow somebody to hear them talk this way to me. I just, I don't, I don't know why he was always portrayed that way. When Psalm 45, as I mentioned previously, says that he was anointed with the oil of joy. I mean, remember that Jesus was engaging, social. He was social. He was likable to sinners. And he not only spoke with fresh revelation on the text, but apparently was engaging enough that people would sit for hours and follow for days, not only to see the works of Christ, but also to hear the words of Christ. So now Jesus says they love to stand on street corners. They love to stand in public places to pray. And if you pause and think about this, you may ask yourself, seriously, did people really go out and stand on street corners, stand in marketplaces and randomly start praying out loud? That seems incredibly obnoxious. I mean, imagine you're minding your own business, grabbing a bite to eat, and some dude comes up next to you and starts praying super loud. Um, rude? So the answer is yes, and the answer is no. No, people wouldn't just randomly go into public markets and street corners to pray, but they would accidentally be there at times of prayer. Let me explain. The Jewish people still today, they recite what's called the Shema, daily. Uh, the word Shema means to listen and obey. In in Hebrew language, they, they don't have a word for listen and one for obey. They simply have the word Shema, which is here, and it, it means to listen and obey, which as you read now the Psalms, you'll see David repeatedly say, hear me, Lord. He, imagine the tenacity to, to speak to the king of the universe and say, don't just listen to me, listen and respond. In the same way, I'll give you an example when Noah was um, on the boat and had been there for a very long time with his family and the animals, it says God remembered Noah. Didn't mean like God forgot, developed demand amnesia and, oh, oh, crap, they've been on a boat for a year. Animals, are, no, that's not the case. God remembered Noah. Uh, there's, it, it's a dual meaning. It's that he, he acted upon what he said. So the, these words, they, they carry dual meaning because there's so fewer words in the Hebrew language compared to English, each word carries much more meaning. There's actually about 8,000 words in Hebrew to 400,000 in English, just to put that in perspective. So the word Shema means to listen and obey. And Jesus quoted the first part of the Shema when asked what the greatest commandment was. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad is what it is in Hebrew. Now the full Shema, I, I can't quote because I don't know it. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, 4, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and, De- and Numbers 15, 37 through 41. And they were supposed to say the Shema as early as possible. They even said when it was light enough to distinguish between blue and white light or blue and green light, depending on which rabbi you talk to. Um, the most important thing is that it was said by 9 a.m. and then again before 9 p.m. And it was to be said wherever you were. Wherever you were, you were to stop, put your head down, put your hands in the air with your palms upward, and you were to recite the Shema. Now, the extra devout Jews, they would do this three times a day, nine, noon, and again at three. And because saying the prayers could, could take a few minutes, it started to become a custom of, of going to the temple um, for prayer. We'll, we'll see this in a minute, how the, the prayers actually lengthened out. Uh, we actually see Peter and James uh, headed up to the temple prayer at, at 9 a.m. for this in Acts 2, uh, the day after Pentecost for public prayer. So you can see that as, as people were going through these prayers, how it would be easy for them to arrange it for themselves to be in a public place when the time arose and when they decided to do it. Like if you really wanted to be noticed, you could make sure you were in a public market at nine noon or, or 3 p.m. Now the, to, to explain why these prayers were a little lengthy, the second thing they were to repeat each day was called the Shemini Ezra. It was also called the 18. Later they added a 19th, but it's still referred to as the, the 18 prayers. Uh, and as far as I know, it's still done today in, in many synagogues. 
and they, they aren't long, all of them, but you can see where this repetition would start to get long. It would start to take time and in doing it every single day, saying the same thing every single day could actually start to lose its, its value and its meaning, especially if you were doing it for public recognition. Now, remember that I just want to pause here and say this. They took prayer very, very seriously. It wasn't flippant and they took it so seriously. The rabbis taught that the only negative thing about prayer and the study of Torah is that it couldn't be done 24 hours a day seven days a week. They also said that a man who prayed, I love this, that he fortified his house with iron for you dads out there, or even you single guys out there. When you pray, you imagine you fortifying your house with iron. I love that picture. Now on the flip side, they said, if a man prayed just to get through the prayers, he wasn't praying at all. So they were saying that these other guys who would just say the Shema to say it, say the 18 to say it, which could take a while, which is again, while, why public prayer, uh, was a custom. It's, it's, it's not ordered anywhere in Mosaic law, but public prayer was a custom at that point for nine, noon and three, um, to, to be done. And you could see where it being done on a day in day out basis, you could just start to kind of go through the motions. So then Jesus makes this statement that is often translated prayer closet. He says to go into secret, uh, you know, it's been translated, go into your prayer closet. And I've met, I've met many people who have taken this really literally in today's terms and actually gone to their closet to pray. And I definitely was that guy, did this when I was younger. And I will say the closet was nice. There was no distractions. There was also no cell phones back then. Um, but it got cramped in there really fast because my closet was about as big as a thimble. It was, it was tiny back then. Um, I will say this, my shirts got filled with the Holy Ghost. My pants got saved. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I, the truth is I thought I'd been praying for, for 30 minutes and I came out. And I think four or five minutes had passed and, and I had covered everything that I knew to pray in four or five minutes. So I guess I was really taking Jesus literally on the not being repetitious thing. Now, the Jewish men to explain this, they wore and still wear today what's called a tallit. You'll see this most of the time they wear it around their waist. It has the tassels that hang from it. Those are called zizits. Well, it's going to come up more as we go through the book of Matthew. But it's also known as a prayer shawl. And when they wanted to shut out all their distractions to pray, they would pull the prayer shawl completely over their head and cross it over their eyes and shut out all distractions. And this was called their prayer closet. The point was to get rid of the distraction. Today's equivalent would be putting your cell phone away, not being near your computer, ultimately getting taking your smartwatch off, getting rid of any electronic distractions. And I will say this, that there is a spiritual element to starting prayer and then all of a sudden your phone going off and your email going off and your watch going off and thinking that you need to contact people. I'll just give a spiritual note here. People often think that spiritual warfare is like the exorcism or, you know, a, a demon showing up out of nowhere in your living room. But the, the enemy is extremely cunning that he will use standard everyday distractions to keep us from getting into supernatural activity that we will pass off as standard everyday distractions in order to miss that spiritual warfare is actually taking place because the the enemy knows what happens when lovers of Jesus get into the place of prayer. He knows what gets released, what promises get released, and what things get broken. So just to consider that, that it's something as simple as taking your smartwatch off or setting your cell phone down. It's not just about avoiding distractions. It could also be about doing spiritual warfare by a very practical uh, a very practical act. Now, the Jewish prayers could be lengthy and they were beautiful. They were full of text. They were meaningful. But Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles. Well, 
thing about the Gentiles is they didn't have Torah. They didn't have the rest of the Tanakh or our Old Testament. And their prayers could be un, unbearably repetitious, even to the point of hypnotizing themselves for real. They literally say the same thing over and over again in some places until they hypnotize themselves. Um, I, you know, I think I've been hypnotized a few times when my child has repeated the same thing over and over again, or maybe I just blacked out. Maybe I shut up. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but there's, there's a couple of examples in this in scripture. One of them is, is very well known. It's the showdown at Mount Carmel with, with Elijah. And they, they literally cry out the same thing to bell for, for I think three plus hours. And so Jesus wasn't saying don't repeat the Shema each day or the 18. He wasn't saying don't, don't recite those prayers. Don't repeat those prayers. He was emphasizing, like all other rabbis, that prayer should be meaningful because it is meaningful. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity to connect with and, and to be heard by God and, and to use the text, to use the prayer, to use the word of God, to speak God's words back to him. And so lastly, Jesus makes this statement that people have used to make excuses for not praying or not contending in prayer for the promises of God in their life. And ultimately Jesus says, don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask. Now, this is not supposed to be an out. It's not supposed to be a reason not to pray. It's actually the exact opposite. This was to build faith. It was to build expectation to get into the place of prayer. In effect, Jesus was saying this, listen, the pagans, they repeat the same thing over and over and over and over again. And like the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, there's no God coming to their aid. Their their gods don't care. They don't know. They don't hear. Frankly, they don't give a flip about their needs. However, your father, he knows, he sees, he cares, and he's waiting for you to come in prayer because he has been anticipating it and is waiting for you to ask him what he already wants to release to you. So take this away today. Don't avoid prayer anticipate it. Don't make excuses, make time. Don't worry about being eloquent. God has never answered a prayer because it was so eloquent. He's not impressed by eloquent, but he's moved by authentic. Be expectant that God is waiting for you, waiting for you to bring your request so that he can release his blessing. Thanks again for listening. This is Michael Stevens. This is the Frequency Podcast. (laughs) 